0: What's the difference between a rebellion and a revolution? What's the difference between a hashtag on Twitter and the creation of an egalitarian society? The difference is the plan, says French writer Albert Camus. It's the idea behind the action. Rebellion is a testimony without consequences. But a revolution? Well, a revolution embarks on the idea of an after on the 20th of November, 2021, on the occasion of a French protest organized by the Nutut Collective, the feminist activist Lina Ben Ahmed said, I want to live in a world where I'm not afraid, a world where violence does not go unpunished." That is why she and 80,000 other people in France marched that day to demand more effective policies against femicide and violence against women. We have never been so close to total equality between women and men. What's needed to finally achieve it is a change of heart. And for me, this change will come from utopia.
1: I'm a
2: black ocean leaping and in wide, into a daybreak that is wondrously clear.
3: I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise!
0: My name is Rebecca Amselem. I'm a French and Canadian feminist activist. Welcome to The Method. Utopia means nowhere in ancient Greek. And this etymology teaches us that the notion of utopia is based on a paradox. Utopia, in its common sense, represents an ideal end. At the same time, utopia cannot be a goal, as it does not imply a specific place to go to. For the Uruguayan writer and journalist Eduardo Galeano, famous for his essay, Open Veins of Latin America... Utopia is by its very nature unattainable. He writes the following. Utopia lies at the horizon. When I draw near by two steps, it retreats two steps. If I proceed ten steps forward, it swiftly steps ten steps ahead. No matter how far I go, I can never reach it. What then is the purpose of utopia? It is to cause us to advance. So is utopia just a perspective that gives us hope, pushes us forward? Or does it also allow us to better visualize the after, the world after the revolution? What role does it play in feminist mobilization? Feminist utopia is our last step of the method, and the one that brings together all the others. One thing is certain— In order to create and strengthen mobilization, it is necessary to have a direction to move in. According to the American philosopher and activist Angela Davis, to carry out any radical mobilization, it is necessary to create for oneself a utopian imagination, what the philosopher calls imagined futures.
4: Imagined futures are, it seems to me, necessary ways of of navigating the structural cruelties of the present, uh, the post-colonial, post-slavery present. These imagined alternatives can, of course, be narrowly confined to specific individuals, communities, institutions, but sometimes these collective political imaginations And these are the the ones that are most interesting to me. Uh, They address much larger frameworks. Um, The relationship between what one hopes for and the transformed conditions that are necessary to enable the realization of that hope is negotiated, it seems to me, in art and in political praxis. Uh,
0: Have you ever heard of the male gaze? Film critic Laura Mulvey first proposed a concept in 1975. For her, the dominant gaze in cinema is that of a cishet man, the close-ups on women's boobs and asses, the gendered roles they're assigned to. Well, there's also a feminist gaze, which is also called the feminist lens. It reveals the concrete manifestations of patriarchy in our daily lives. The 250 pounds missing from your pay slip the conversation between Bob and Dave about this skirt you wore yesterday, or even your hysterical reaction, which was in fact legitimate anger at the fact that your bike was actually stolen. The feminist gaze allows us to imagine, in a three-dimensional way, what society could look like if we lived in a feminist utopia, without these patriarchal traits. And then feminist sympathizers look through the feminist lens. They realize that they no longer wish to live under discriminatory values. And then they are ready to act. In my opinion, this imagination, this exercise in thinking, this looking through a lens, has a name, utopia. The method of feminist utopia has in my mind two major steps. First, the exercise in radical imagination that Angela Davis has taught us about. It allows us to see what the patriarchy makes us blind to. It helps us become aware of inequalities by taking utopia, as opposed to current society as a reference point. It shows us, for example, that we can free ourselves from the constraints imposed by patriarchy. And second is the exercise of spreading this new feminist imagination. Once this utopia has been imagined, the work of activists is to spread this revolutionary vision of gender relations. Utopia is therefore both the horizon towards we are aiming and the method for getting as close to it as possible.
1: I... Would say,
0: um, I have several things to say about this feminist utopia. This woman is Rafia Zakaria, a Pakistani-American feminist attorney and intellectual. The first
1: would obviously be that, in my mind, it's the possibility of the of having a utopia, as opposed to the details of the utopia that matter more. So, I guess. Uh, from my vantage point as a brown muslim um uh, you know pakistani american feminist the see that envisioning of a of a utopia which would be obviously the ideal feminist world um as an important motivating
0: factor for Rafia zakaria The utopian method of achieving a feminist society is as old as time. Women have envisioned these utopias
1: throughout the ages and throughout cultures as a way of um, almost motivating them to be stronger and also to to think outside the confines of their day-to-day lives. Uh, it, It is also tagged to... The history of South Asian feminists, because one of the first um, one of the first stories written in English by a South Asian woman uh, is called um, "Ladyland," and it's by the author is Rukaya Sahavat Hussain, and um, this writer imagines a world without men.
0: When mention Ladyland, Rafia Zakaria was referring to Sultana's dream. A text published in 1905 in Ladies magazine, the first Indian magazine created by a woman and for women. It's a utopian science fiction story set in the imaginary feminist world of Ladyland. The main character is a woman called Sultana. One day, she wakes up in a world she doesn't recognize, Everything is identical to the author's world, except for a few details. When she walks down the street, she feels women's gazes on her and hears some kind of muffled laughter. She wonders why they're laughing and asks the woman walking with her. "'Because you have a very masculine attitude,' replies Sister Sarah. "'Masculine? Me?' Sultana doesn't understand. "'Well, you're shy and reserved like men,' says Sister Sarah." Of course, Sultana at that point is completely lost. This definition does not at all correspond to what she has been taught about a masculine attitude. Sultana learns that she is in ladyland and that here, women are free to come and go as they please. Men however, are not allowed to leave the house. In this ladyland utopia, women invented solar energy, abolished the death penalty and eradicated childhood diseases. Pandemics do not exist. Yes, it is specified. And neither did mosquito bites. No mosquitoes. Now that's utopia. Because okay, Mr. Conservatives, we know that you don't like women. But doesn't the mosquito argument sound tempting? Hashtag not all mosquitoes. I know. And she's very clever
1: and inventive in describing this world. And where men would be and how peaceful this world would be because um, the people in charge were no longer sort of uh, motivated by their egos and insecurities and uh, it's a short little story but I highly recommend it it's free to read on the internet.
0: A world where men are not in power. It's the very same principle as in one of the world's first utopian stories, also written by a woman, Christine de Pizan, in the Middle Ages. Of Italian origin, Christine de Pizan arrived in France with her mother at the age of four, married at fifteen, widowed at twenty-three, and she found herself alone in Paris in 1387 with an elderly mother and three children to support. And Christine de Pizan took a very risky gamble for the time. She did not remarry, she became a writer, and she invented her ideal world. A world where women can do whatever they want without being constantly judged or compared. A world where equality is a reality. And it is called the city of ladies. Christine de Pizan's utopia is a city of women, the foundations of which are so deep that the walls are unshakable. In the story, the writer highlights little-known female figures, such as the Greek poetess Sappho and the Roman goddess Minerva. In The City of Ladies, Christine de Pizan is obsessed by a question that I ask myself every day and that you might do too. How is it that we still live in a patriarchal society? With regard to the female figures she quotes in her utopian narrative, Christine de Pizan asks... Why do so many authors speak ill of them in their work? What's their reasoning? Is it a natural impulse? And then, five whole pages of explanations. And surprisingly, they sound quite contemporary. And I quote one of those sentences. Some because of their own vices. Others because of the infirmity of their own bodies. And this is a real quote. Others out of pure jealousy. Christine de Pizan was the first person to consider utopia a necessary tool for restoring women in their rightful place in history. In other words, she was the very first to suggest utopia as a feminist method. Because when one is conditioned to think according to values of an established system and wishes to imagine another, the first thing to do is to get rid of the rules, at least on paper. Unless we tell
1: the story differently, we're, we're never getting to a point where
0: enough women will identify with this movement for it to be a politically viable. For Afia Zakaria, the first challenge of a feminist utopia is to tell a story that is different from the others, a different kind of imagining. This is Angela Davis' exercise in radical imagination. And it's why women all over the world, in all periods, had been writing feminist utopias. Christine de Pizan wrote hers in the Middle Ages. In 1915, the American Charlotte Perkins Gilman wrote Her Land, a feminist classic. In 1977, French writer Françoise D'Aubonne published her futurist novel, Shepherds of the Apocalypse, more recently, in 2020, French director Gertie d'Ambury presented her play, Good News Radio. And this feminist utopias can have very real consequences, sometimes centuries later. Rafia Zakaria tells us how Sultana's dream, the 1905 Indian feminist utopia we were talking about earlier, is resonating with people today on Pakistani Twitter. So... Uh, One of the funny things about
1: this book is that um, I see it resurrected in contemporary life in various Twitter spaces that are held by Pakistani feminists. Um, So I think the story is that, uh, you know, they would have these spaces, these feminist spaces, and and they would be talking, um, you know, on this platform digitally uh, to each other. And um, men would show up. They would crash this
0: this discussion. They would show up. They wanted the mic, on and on and on. What Rafia Zakaria is describing are the gender dynamics that exist in the distribution of speech on Twitter and everywhere else. Women exchanging ideas and men coming in not to exchange with them, but to demand a platform, to demand to be heard? So I think eventually they said, okay, well, these
1: men come anyway, right? Like they're always demanding to be included. They're saying all these things. So what we're going to do is that we are going to, <laughs> we're going to call our Twitter space the School of Instruction for Men. And all the men who, Come into it, they give them a, like a real dressing down, ask them questions that
0: imagine this world. What the Pakistani feminists did on Twitter in the face of this influx of uninvited male commentators with no interest in exchanging ideas was take back control. And they took it upon themselves to educate. They used this constant need the men had to explain things to educate them. And this is where we see one of the effects of the Sultana's dream story, because suddenly the gender roles were reversed. So for instance, they ask him a question.
1: So your, your wife is sleeping. And then in her, in her sleep, she opens her eyes and um, asks for a glass of water and then goes back to sleep. Um, so what do you do? A, you uh, say, okay, she's gone back to sleep and don't, you know, don't have to get her glass of water. B, um, you go and put a glass of water on her bedside table and see you stand there with the glass of water waiting until she turns over and wakes and then hand it to her and you know of course I could see is the right answer but they you know they do it in this sort of banter in many many like different forms but what they're trying to envision in that space is very much a realization of the reversal of rules. And when you can make it compelling, um, you know uh, the, a compelling imaginative exercise, uh, you know the 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 sort of oppressions of the of the moment become more obvious, they become more significant, and they become legitimate points of, reference for, for action, for act, political action. And um, yeah, and uh, I, I point uh, to this story a lot of times because as you know, uh, many white Western women assume that there was no such thing as a feminist consciousness among uh, Indian women.
0: Pakistani feminists created a virtual space quite similar to the utopia of Sultana's dream. By asking men multiple choice questions on Twitter, they are first soliciting their responses, thus changing the dynamic. More importantly, they then deliver the right answer, which puts them in the dominant role. This is in contrast to the previous situation where they were being subjected to male interventions. So, subverting the narrative codes and creating utopian spaces, even if they're limited to Twitter, allows us to change our perspective. The notion of feminist utopia allows us to develop the feminist narrative and to radically influence our imagination. This ties in with the experience of Yuri Casalino, a feminist spin doctor whom I met for this documentary. Yuri Casalino says that feminist science fiction is a form of artistic utopia that has helped her shape her imagination, her utopia. I really, I,
5: I really went looking for spaces, thoughts, descriptions that in, in different ways filled me with a reality that doesn't exist or that didn't exist around me. And, and so that was the case, for example, with feminist science fiction, which for me, was a huge source of learning and understanding reality because it was about imagining things in the future with, with barely any limits to what's possible. We, we can imagine so many new technologies and types of transformation. That's the basis of science fiction. But also, it's the basis for any social change.
4: This woman, whom we all knew as a handmaid,
5: I can remember seeing The Handmaid's Tale, the 90s film version of Margaret Atwood's book, and the way society was portrayed was just strange and different and sometimes sometimes really disturbing, even for science fiction.
4: Oh, <sighs> good.
0: That. It's low reps.
5: It's what I do. I won't
4: hurt a taper. Fuck okay, Let's go take a
5: steam.
4: Pardon, okay. je. I, I also I remember seeing, seeing, seeing some lesbian,
5: lesbian films, films, films from, from the, the 1970s, films 1970s that were pretty amazing. Often kind of B movies, but but just really beautiful. Je crois que c'était. Captain. Okay. Mm. Oh, I can't remember the titles. I think one was Captain or something like that. Uh, it, it, it was a story about two female athletes who fall in love with each other, and they have to train for the Olympics while they're in this love affair. And they end up... They end up in the finals of the Olympics. One gets injured in the final stretch and the other wins. So it's a bit… it's very dramatic, but it's beautiful. And I was totally confused by it when I was 14, 15 years old. I told myself that this world, it existed somewhere it's hidden from us it, it's always being hidden from us and we're not taught about it at school and it's on TV but at weird times but if you go looking for it there are super interesting things to be found
2: and, and
5: then and then probably every time I saw it bits were added, Piece by piece, and that build a much more interesting image than what we were shown at school. What we saw around us, the mainstream stuff, the testosterone-filled content that we were shown every day.
4: Incidentally, where are your menfolk?
0: You're the first man I've ever seen. The notion of a feminist utopia highlights two things. First, that patriarchy is not a natural state because no, baby boys are not born with the ambition of scoring the biggest cuts, and no, baby girls are not born with a prepaid Weight Watcher subscription. Second, we can say that a systemic critique of structures is possible. The feminist utopias mentioned so far show that even a woman can think and formulate her own vision of a better society. And this view is and was in itself revolutionary, especially in the Middle Ages and the early 20th century. Feminist utopias have existed for several centuries, without ever gaining the necessary momentum to bring down the patriarchy. The challenge today is to spread the possibility of utopia. This is the second stage of utopia as a method. After the creation of our radical utopian imaginations, we arrive at the utopian impulse. The notion of the utopian impulse was very much in vogue within feminism in the 1970s to create a joyful hope for social change. In her book called Feminism and Utopianism in the 70s, academic Angelica Obama quotes the feminist Monique Wittig, who describes this hope very well. She says, "'The most utopian state, particularly for women, is not a state of rest, but the possibility of action.'" Feminist utopia should therefore not be seen as a goal, but as a journey, a process. This brings to mind Rejane Sénac's idea of utopia. Le seul the only
3: realism is concrete utopia, utopia in action.
0: Do you remember the political academic Rejane Sénac? I met her to discuss the notion of fluid radicality at the beginning of this documentary. For her, utopian action is the culmination of all the previous points, the realistic method for achieving a feminist society. That
3: is to say, faced with our alternatives, a realism that has led us to the destruction of our resources, the destruction, we can say, of nature, but in fact humans are a part of nature, the destruction is of our living environment and of ourselves and in particular, of our health.
0: And of
3: interdependence, the destruction of what we thought was outside of ourselves and what we could monopolize, natural resources, animals, and the living world in general, in the face of this realism, which is in reality an inflated human ego, that points towards the very destruction of humanity. For me, tangible utopias... Utopias in action are already in action. They are already here. They are in all these initiatives, in all these incredibly rich exchanges.
0: We see the moments Rejan Senac is referring to all the time and everywhere. We see it in the French National March organized by the NUTUT Collective in November 2021. We see it in the social mobilization that led to the knocking down of the statue of a colonialist slave trader in Bristol in 2020. We see it in the women's marches all over the U.S. that happened on January 2016. We see it in the sex strikes that happened in Togo, in Kenya, and Italy, which I told you about in episode two. Utopian action is human mobilization, it's interaction between people, and the results that generates. When you start
3: to enter this world, you realize how rich it is, how fertile, how full of productive and happy disobedience. But that is absolutely not first level happiness. These are people who are completely aware of the injustices that affect them as victims or as allies. They see mobilization as vital, not only to serve their own interests but so that this type of behavior no longer exists and it is exposed and dismantled. I find that when we can only think of the current emancipation process, if we think of it as utopia in action, already here, already in motion, with all its complexity, intention and unfinished business, So satisfying in the energizing sense of inspiring potential. It's the reason I come out of meetings feeling completely recharged, as if my internal programming has been completely updated. Because it's true, I used to run on a very old school ideological programming. First of all, we're going to think about the theoretical and political framework We're going to reach an agreement on what we mean by equality as freedom from domination. And that was going to be it. But actually, that's absolutely not the process currently in motion. The process in motion is fluid. It's radical and creative.
0: Some time ago, I had the opportunity to talk to the French adventurer and journalist Lucie Azema during a Club des Glorieuses event. In her latest book, Women Travel Too, she explains that our vision of travel is still influenced by a very masculine and Western perspective. That day, I asked Lucie Azema what a utopian feminist society would look like for her. And she said something that struck me. In
2: a truly egalitarian society in which the feminist revolution has been fully carried out, men and women would live in the same world. What I mean by that is, I really feel that men live on a completely different planet to us. And I find that this creates a lot of misunderstanding, whether it's in friendship, in relationships, in the workplace. And so, if we were more equal, we would all live on the same planet. And it's funny because feminists are often blamed for creating a gender war when in fact the gender war already exists. It's being imposed on us and it's precisely what we're trying to fix. So yes, there would be more, more understanding. I mean, that's what I dream of the most. That would really be a total utopia for me.
0: Thanks to Lucia Zema, we understand one thing. Feminist activists have only one goal, to make peace. Because yeah, as a matter of fact, we'd rather be doing other things, like making cookies in the shape of Volvos, or writing epic novels. What Lucia Zema is saying is that the gender war is being waged by a part of the population that wants to keep its privileges. And activists are trying to end this war by rebalancing the power dynamic. There's no reason why a woman should not have as many rights as a man, right? It's a no-brainer. Well, apparently not for everyone. So the very notion of asking for gender peace implies a utopian approach. To build on what Rejan Ténac has just explained, talking about gender peace implies breaking out of our patriarchal vision of feminist mobilizations and thinking about them in utopian terms. So, we understand the feminist fight is in itself a utopia. I think
2: it's a very important moment in utopia. We make a collective decision, we organize ourselves, and we know that we have the strength to make this decision operational, to carry it out to materialize it.
0: For the Argentinian researcher and activist Veronica Gago, who co-founded the new Naminos movement, Not One Woman Less, in reference to their fight against feminicides, shared moments of decision-making are in themselves utopian moments.
2: I think it is a very important moment in utopia. We make a collective decision, we organize ourselves, and we know that we have the strength to make this decision operational, to carry it out, to materialize it. And I think that international strikes create a powerful utopian moment of this life we want to live. The proximity and the bonds that are created are parts of this feminist utopia. It's, it's time for us, space for us, a violence-free place where there's a lot of shared efforts to make sure that these protests have a kind of atmosphere, a festive atmosphere. And I think we've experienced this in the type of protests and strikes and assemblies that give you a burst of energy and that make you feel like you've reclaimed your living conditions. And from this, with all the fragility and all the pain we may feel, well, there's a possibility of collectively appropriating and and even reappropriating social wealth, the things that belong to us and the possibility of making decisions and moving them forward. I like to imagine the feminist utopia from situations that we've previously lived, like foreshadowings or predictions. So, to bring to life the utopian imagination, based on lived experiences and on the ways in which this utopia is becoming present in the here and now. And, for example, in the national or plurinational meetings, as we now call them, of women, lesbians, trans people, which have been held in Argentina for 30 years and which involve the feminist occupation of a city for several days. I think of all the infrastructure that this requires in terms of organization and the making of a meeting space for for debate, for discussion, but also for celebrating and for being together. I think many of us have been there and experienced these meetings and and we know that they give us a moment of pure feminism, of pure utopia, where we make the city a feminist city, where all the effort and organizational motivation and the time freed up for this utopian possibility, well, it fills us with energy. And and we feel a real sense of sovereignty over this time and space, which allows us to apply one of the slogans we always say, which is, we are for she... For he and for them.
0: What Veronica Gago is describing here is the stage that comes after the utopian impulse. She's talking about experiencing Rejan Sinak's utopias in action. All of a sudden, we realize that utopia is no longer just the horizon that will never be reached. It's stronger than that. It's a feeling of invincibility, I remember the 3rd of November 2016 very well. De it was our first day of campaigning for equal pay in France. I was being interviewed from morning to night. I was on the radio for the first time in my life. The next morning, I was exhausted. And for the first time, I got that feeling. I can still vividly remember it today. This feeling that nothing and no one could stop us. At that moment, it felt absolutely impossible to me that the issue of equal pay could continue to be ignored. I was convinced that politicians had understood that the gender pay gap was no coincidence. Now the whole world was bound to recognize that it was a social problem. I imagined myself able to bring about a feminist society. It was a bit like having Joan of Arc syndrome, who believed that she could defeat the English generals even when everyone else before her had been slaughtered. But back then, nothing seemed impossible, not equal pay, not any feminicides. What I understand today, listening to Rafia Zakaria, listening to Yuri Casalino, Rejan Senac, Lucia Zema, and Verónica Gago, is that I had just had my first taste of feminist utopia. And from then on, nothing would be the same. Philosopher Mia Srinivasan describes feminism in this way. Feminism is not a philosophy, or a theory, or even a point of view. It is a political movement to transform the world beyond recognition. It asks, what would it be to end the political, social, sexual, economic, psychological, and physical subordination of women? It answers, we do not know. Let us try and see. Feminism is in itself a utopia because this political movement finds its essence in a framework of thinking that's beyond the patriarchal system. What's that, you say? A movement in which history is not told, edited, and published by men? A movement in which women don't want to be objects of the desire? A movement in which joy is born from coexistence and sadness and domination disappear hand in hand? Yes! And in a system that oppresses the majority of the world's population, some women and one or two men decided that something was wrong. That it was not normal to feel uncomfortable when a man stared at you on a crowded bus. That there was no medical reason for that same man to faint upon reading an inclusive sentence. That the only reason I don't go jogging at midnight is because I really hate jogging, not because I'm scared. That the names Louise Labé, You're slicked against the wall of the flow-through kitchen between your ex
1: and his girlfriend. You'd still like to devour him. Sylvia Plath.
5: Daddy, I have
2: had
0: to kill you. Andre Chedid. Je crois que la poésie est un levier de liberté aussi. Bell Hooks. Moving from pain to power. Maya Angelou.
4: You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness. But just like life.
0: And Alice Walker And Ain't I a Woman? should be familiar to all of us. Because the patriarchy is not inevitable. Because it's possible to live in a feminist society. It is possible. This is what Utopia is for. To offer an imaginary alternative so as to make it possible for it to become a reality. It all starts with something obvious. I have been living the utopia I'm chasing for more than six years, imagining an after. I'm working alongside thousands of other activists to offer another way of seeing the world, different from what we're taught. We're questioning what we're told to take as a given. We're going back to the roots. It's by being an activist that I have learned to listen to my desires that I have learned a form of discipline that allows me to fight with joy. So now we carry on, we invent, we create, we reform and we revolutionize. We pave the way to utopia so that more and more people can join us there. So that one day, in a short while perhaps, there will be no one left behind. to warmly thank all the people who worked on the method. I also want to thank the people who lent their voices for the different dubbing. Maud Benakcha, Lena Coutreau, Miriam Doumanque, Marie Koyouou, Soukaina Kabal, Mathieu Perrault, Lola Piplo, Tess Rosenthal, Lucille Rousseau-Garcia, Karima Sorel, and Cathy Watts. I would also like to take this opportunity to thank all the people who gave me their time for the interviews in this documentary Carla Bergman, Yuri Casalino, Rani Lodge, Geneviève Fraisse, Veronica Gago, Manon Garcia, Kristen Gotzi, Nick Montgomery, Sarah Schulman, Rejane Senek, Natalie Wynn, and Rafia Zakaria. If you're interested in this podcast, please talk about it all around you because, yes, we are winning this revolution.